Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Adam, <laughs> pastor of community here at Livingstone's Church. If I haven't met you, I apologize. It's been, I've been here a year now, but it's been a year of COVID, so it's a little weird. Um, I just want to plug that Community Sunday. The last time we did that, a month ago, a lot of people came out, and what, it was, what I was blessed to see was people come together, people that hadn't seen each other in months, People get to know new people that were brand new to our church that were just welcomed in. And in this one, there'll also be outdoor baptisms, as you heard. So those will be held at 1 o'clock that, that day. So I just want to encourage you guys to, to make the time and the space to come out and reconnect and meet somebody new, and it's, it's a good time. Let me just pray before I start. Father, we, we thank you that your spirit is here and present and alive and well in each of us. We thank you that you choose to use each of us regardless of our frailties and brokenness and the ways that we fall short, Lord. And we just thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to each heart tonight, today, this morning. So Father, I ask that you would use my words, Lord, that your spirit would speak. And it's not me that's remembered, but you transforming your people. Lord, I just thank you for this body for each person that could make it here today and those that are listening online. We ask for you to move in your name. Amen. I'm going to be speaking from Romans 12, 1 and 2. So I'm just going to read those verses and then, then I'll dive in. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. To give our lives to Christ means we turn away from our will to do God's will. This is a major step of submission. Jesus prayed it in Luke 22:42, not my will, but yours be done. And it might seem like God is calling, is requiring things that are humanly impossible of you. Things that you would never be able to do. And you're right. Without the Spirit of God within you and the support and help of the body of Christ around you, that's us, we will keep failing and falling. But he always gives grace to help at the right time. And grace is power to do his will. Receiving his grace means surrendering ourselves daily, all of ourselves. And you'll see the title of this sermon. It might have caused some laughs already. Pig in the, the pig and the chicken. It's because of this story that I'm going to share with you guys, which really sums up the thoughts from this sermon. So there's a pig and a chicken walking down the street. And they get down to the grocery store in the downtown, and there's a big sign in the front big window saying, eggs and bacon desperately needed. Desperately being the, you know, the bold capital, capitalized. So then the, the chicken turns to the pig and says, well, I, I think I could give some eggs if you give some bacon. <laughs> and the pig stares back at the chicken and replies, no way. The chicken asks, well, why not? 
To which the pig responds, well, for you, it's a contribution. But for me, it's my life. You know, today we, we have many Christians who are only willing to give God an egg here or there. And then we think we've given enough. And then we wonder why God isn't showing up miraculously and powerfully in our lives. We wonder why we seem to struggle to know his will. And the reason he is not is that God has asked us as kingdom followers to climb up on his altar and give him our all. Another thing we love to do as believers, we'll climb up on that altar. But as soon as things get a little hairy, a little too uncomfortable, we're going to climb right off real quick. You know, as I dive into these verses, I find I could preach and go in a lot of different directions. There's a lot here. But as I flesh out some of the weight of these words and how we're, and I'm going to walk through how we walk them out a little bit. And that plea to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, what does that mean and are we all in? Are we going to be the pig in that story or are we going to keep being that chicken and just giving pieces? You know, I love how the Bible was put together. In my studies in college, I quickly learned that while you can survive on the New Testament and you can know Jesus and know him well, that the Old Testament is so rich. And it's like this rich commentary that gives context, color, and contrast to many of the teachings in the New Testament. And sometimes we can scratch our heads when we get some New Testament teaching, but the Old helps us understand as we read those stories, as we tackle. And it's not all easy, but it's rich. So this idea of giving a living sacrifice to God, that each of us are here to be a sacrifice, as many of you probably already know, this is a major echo and reminder of the priesthood of the old, in the Old Testament and of the sacrifices that they made. Not just anyone gave sacrifices back then. There, there was a holy priesthood chosen specifically by God for the people of Israel who were to be set apart to be holy, just as we're called to be that who are the ones to kill the animals on the altars, altars for the sins of the people. Their role was to bring people to God and to maintain that relationship through animal sacrifice. And if you were to read much of the Old Testament, you couldn't help but hear about that significant role the priests played. In the commandment in Romans 12:1, when we were to be a living sacrifice, not just that, but holy, that all began near the creation of the world. You know, the, and then as well in Romans 12, 2, it says to do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Those priests were given very specific instructions on how to act and how to be. Israel was to be set apart from the world by God and his priests even more so than the rest of the nation. Whether they achieved it or not, their purpose was clearly outlined by God, just as we are called as well to be set apart. And then we encounter, have this encounter that appears at the beginning of Abram's story before God changes his name to Abraham. God calls him out to leave everything and to follow God into the promised land. Abram's own story can enlighten us on what a living sacrifice looks like from the get-go. A man that God called to walk on a journey different from the nations around him. To walk by faith, to not see where he's going, but to trust. And is that not the same kind of sacrifice that he's asking each and every one of you right now? 
Then just as Abram, after Abram had rescued his nephew Lot from captivity, he had this encounter with Melchizedek, this king of Salem, who was also a priest to God Most High, who gave Abram a blessing, Genesis 14, 8. And what is fascinating to me is that this is just all a reminder and pointing both him and that royal priesthood that would follow after as we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that we are also the holy priests as well. Specific people train to bring the people to God, but now Paul urges us that we are all high priests. In 1 Peter 2.5, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is huge. We are the priests now. Paul is pointing to that fulfillment of the plan where we are all connected through a holy priesthood and we are all to be set apart to be holy like the priests of old. You cannot turn to me and say, well, Adam, you're the one that was called to be a pastor. I'm just a construction worker or a lawyer or I count money. So that's my, I, I don't want to be involved in any of this spiritual sacrifice business. Or It's not my responsibility. That's not true. It's on all of us. We're called to it together. And it's in our, our entire lives are to be that sacrifice. And you, you know, in the Old Testament, sacrifice was pretty intense. There's so much, so much explanation and rules that many of the people didn't even understand how it all worked except the priests that were ministering and doing those sacrifices. And there's so many different types, ways, and names of sacrifices that were similar and overlapped that, many, that it was easy, not easy to tell the difference. The Old Testament is full of descriptions of how they were to do the sacrifices. And I feel like if you just studied that and how God trained his priests and, and set up sacrifices, you'd learn a lot about the heart and character of God and about holiness. But to sacrifice today rarely means blood will be shed. For us, sacrifice means giving something or taking something on that costs us a little money or comfort or convenience. But to sacrifice in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, is that bloody reality of a bellowing animal being butchered on an altar. Imagine that sensory overload that these people would be going through. That violent resistance of the animal being pulled up there. The blood and the smell and the weight on your heart as you see your sin being taken away as the life fades out of that animal's eyes. And then imagine the frustration afterwards when you walk away knowing that you're going to be back there tomorrow or the week after or the month after because ultimately you'd sin again. And this should lead us to thanksgiving. Thank Christ, God's son, because he ended that era with his own blood. That we no longer need to be sprinkled by priests with blood of the animals we brought for them to kill, but are now washed by Jesus' blood once and for all. But what stays the same about those sacrifices and now is the constancy of the offering. Just as the priests had to continually offer for the people as they fell, as they sinned, as they walked away from God, we must constantly, daily, give our lives as the sacrifice. This is not a one-time, I accepted Jesus and I'm good and I'm going to heaven type of relationship. 
as we put ourselves on the altar daily, as we need to, for our selfish wills are strong, we also learn that we do not do it for our own self-centered will or strictly to please ourselves. We are to be focused on benefiting and blessing others by living the way God, the way of God is defined in the Bible. In Poland in 1894, there was a man named Maximilian. And according to his account, he had this spiritual encounter where he was asked if he would be willing to devote his life to himself to a pure and holy life. And then he was asked if he would be willing to wear a red crown, which is a symbol of martyrdom. He accepted both. And within a couple of years, he became an ordained Franciscan friar and also continued his education and got his PhD in philosophy. And then during the 20, 1920s and 30s, he traveled the world widely, building a monastery in Japan and another in India, and ultimately returning back to Poland for poor health, because of his poor health in 1936. So the Nazis invade his country, and he has this chance to earn enhanced rights and privileges in exchange for signing a document recognizing his German ancestry. He refused. He also could have had a much easier time under that occupation if he'd given up publishing religious texts. But he also declined to do that. In fact, his books and essays became increasingly critical of the Nazis. And so in, 19, in, in February 1941, his monastery was shut down. He was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to the death camp in Auschwitz as prisoner 16670. In that camp, he saw it as his duty to continue on in his priestly manner, and it got him constantly beaten, regular beatings. And then in July 1941 came his ultimate test of faith. Ten prisoners had escaped the prison prior to that, and so to deter more prisoners from trying to escape, he grabbed ten people, ten more prisoners, and they were going to put them in an underground bunker and starve them to death to teach them. And then one of those prisoners yelled out and said, but I have a wife and children. So the priest offered to, to take the place of that man. So along with the nine others, he was thrown into the bunker and left to die a slow, agonizing death. And one of the men employed to clean that camp survived to tell the story. He revealed that Maximilian had led the condemned men in prayer during that time. And in all, in all in all, he lasted two weeks all the others had died. He was the last prisoner, and they actually ended up giving him a lethal injection. And the man whose place in the bunker he took, he lived to be 93. And dedicated his life to telling the world about his Savior's acts and sacrifices. We're called to sacrifice it all, it all and at times it will cost our lives. Maximilian apparently knew that that sacrifice was, and he ultimately, it would cost him his physical life. But he didn't know how or when. And then when he had a chance to make things easier by signing that document, essentially just giving God a few eggs, he refused. And he put his whole body on the altar, and he did not inch off of it. He understood Jesus' words, well, not my will, but your will be done. His life was not only a picture of the ultimate living sacrifice, but also of not being conformed to his current world. 
You know, I pray that when I'm confronted with similar pressures in our world, that I would do the same. And don't think that this won't happen to you. Maybe we're not living in the same day and age as him, but this world is constantly pressuring us to compromise. And if it hasn't happened to you, it's going to start, or it will happen at some point. And as, in, increasingly, as the world turns hostile to believers and to Jesus. And the truest sacrifice we can make is to try to live according to his purposes for our lives. Paul says that the true freedom comes when we unquestionably turn to service of God. It's ceasing to live only for ourselves or to serve God in all we are and do. And this is just a flashback to Deuteronomy 6.5, to love God with all your heart, all your soul, in all your strength. This is not negated in the New Testament. This is all part of it. As we are willingly give all of ourselves as sacrifice to him, we are being asked to do the same as the Israelites were. And yet we're still tempted to be part-time Christians. We're tempted to compromise our faith when we become living sacrifices. However, we are transformed Christians. We don't live according to the mandates of this present age. We are completely reorientated. Even our minds are different. We're to live lives concentrated to God and in, in lives that are not conformed to this world, but transformed by God, as Romans 12, 2 reminds us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are you all familiar with the toys called transformers? Each one starts out looking like one thing, then various parts move around, so the whole thing becomes something totally different. And some parts stay the same, while others change to take on the appearance, appearance of something with a different purpose. It becomes a powerful robot. But it's not rightly named. The toy gets transformed by me, not itself. It should be called transformable. This toy gets a good, makes a good visual of how in real life, I am not the transformer either, but one who is transformable in the hands of a living God and his transforming power. And while this toy won't resist me because it has no will of its own, we can resist our transformer out of fear of the unfamiliar, because of stubbornness, or we're convinced that we don't actually need transforming, or out of ignorance not knowing that it's available to us. And now while it is by faith we are saved, we are called to do something, not for our salvation, but due to our transformation. Paul re-emphasizes that our faith should issue forth in holy lies, that faith and faithfulness are forever linked. Ephesians says it so well, that we are his workmanship, created in him for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. We are not saved to do good, but our, tra but our transformed lives will result in us doing good. Do you see that difference? And in this chapter... Paul offers practical counseling on how to, and, and how to walk faithfully with him as you read further in Romans 12. And literally, a sacrifice is a dead thing. So the truest interpretation of this term is that we are to be a living dead thing. We are to be alive in God and his desires while at the same, simultaneously being dead in our sinful nature and our own will. And you know, Maximilian's life might seem a little dramatic to us in our comfortable Canadian homes. 
but it's a living example and challenge to us as we are still being bombarded with daily temptations to compromise our faith and our testimony out of fear of sticking out and being rejected. So we'll look at another story in a different way of putting your life on that altar. And it's the story of a young girl named Asia who, who struggles with an anxiety disorder. She was diagnosed at age 16 and was put on medication for two years to stabilize that adrenaline in her brain that wanted to invade her thoughts every second of every day. She found that people were thrown when she acknowledged that she had a mental health disorder, even with her love of Christ. She noticed that people would try to fix her whenever they heard that her talk about her experience with anxiety. And they would try to speak scripture over her life in a tone that communicated that they felt it's out of order to acknowledge human deficiency while in relationship with Jesus. But the longer that she lived with Jesus and her anxiety disorder, the more she realized it's here to serve a purpose greater than her human brain could comprehend. And that's not to say that the panic attacks weren't painful or that the social anxiety wasn't embarrassing and that the intrusive thoughts weren't distracting. They were all real things that she kept feeling. But what she was saying was just as I did that as Paul urges us to be, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, she also, just as Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. She began to choose to see her anxiety order as something to offer. Up to the Lord that can be used in her life for his glory, rather than a mistake that the devil manipulates to scare her. If we're not careful, we're going to fall into that trap of seeing our flaws as something that disqualifies us from the goodness of God. When in reality, it's those same deficiencies that can be used as offerings to show how God's perfect hand is still at work in our lives. Similar to how opposite ends of magnets perfectly aligned with one another, our imperfection attracts the, to the perfection of a sovereign God that seeks to use us in our anxious, stressed, depressed, and sick or diseased bodies. If God says that he made us fearfully and wonderfully, then let us be encouraged that there is no diagnosis that surprises him or predates his choice to use us Use that in which you are convinced disqualifies you or handicaps you. Being a living sacrifice means that you will have to go through things that have nothing to do with what you've done, but everything to do with what God wants to do through you. Being a living sacrifice means that your testimony lives as you allow yourself to feel that visceral discomfort of whatever, of having whatever ailment you have while staying rooted in the truth of God's word that speaks life into you. None of us are exempt and no part of us is exempt. Your shortcomings, struggles, and failures and your doubts are not a shock to him. He wants all of you, including the darkest parts or the lies or whatever else, and he wants it on that altar. So how are we offer ourselves daily? How are we to stay holy and acceptable? We do it together. I said it in my last sermon, and I'm going to keep saying it, that many of us are more connected than ever in history. But I feel it's very superficial. It's not that deep connection to each one, to one another in real life. And loneliness has become a modern pandemic. 
a crucial note from this passage is that, is that we cannot do this whole sacrifice thing alone. God does not desire you individually to be the living sacrifice while I am another. The passage is clear that what is an acceptable worship to God is that we present our bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. The people of God join together to offer up one living sacrifice to God. This is our service of worship. God is pleased with the offering of our unity and love. We honor him by being united in the gospel as one people. This is the living sacrifice that God desires. Us living in devotion to him by loving and serving one another in his name. Isolation is not a gift from God at all. It's a tool of the enemy. But how are we to do this when we're not connected or united? When there are people here that have been here for years that still don't feel connected or known. And I know that people, that this takes two to tango kind of thing. That we need to make an effort and those coming in need to make an effort. But it's sort of like a marriage. The new person coming into a family, it can be intimidating and scary for all sorts of reasons. But if that family does not open up and make space and welcome them in and greet them in, that new member into the family, it's next to impossible to have the kind of relationship you need to go deep. We may be strong at welcoming people here at Living Stones, and I think that's good, but we gotta be honest with ourselves that that's the easiest part. It's building the bonds of deep love and trust and growth that are hard. When you see a brother sin and can walk with him until he's restored, or it's knowing that a sister is suffering and not just because you have a two minute of light conversation at coffee every Sunday. These types of relationships do not happen by accident, but by intentionality and by sacrifice daily. We need to see this corporate, we see this corporate unified movement as we read further into Romans 12, three to 14. I highlighted some of those things as we have many parts, but one body. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So outdo one another in showing honor. Associate with the humble. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone and conquer evil with good. You know, history gives us a lot of examples of individual sacrifices, individuals sacrificing themselves for others, even strangers. But what about whole villages or communities? It's a lot harder to find that collective selflessness. It's a lot more rare, but it's not impossible. And that's what happened with this village called Eam in the county of Derbyshire in England. It was 1665 in the Black Plague, was ravaging Europe. And England was not exempt from that. And it was believed that in the summer of that year, a bale of, of, of cloth arrived from the capital, from London to EM. And it was a, a bale of damp cloth. And once, it wasn't just cloth that showed up, but within it, there was fleas, fleas carrying the plague. And so when that tailor started hanging up that cloth to dry it out, the fleas woke up and got to work. And quickly that tailor became ill 
and passed away. And within a few weeks, 42 more people had passed away. By the end of the year, the whole town was packing up to run. But that's when the village clergyman stepped in. William Mumpesson was new to EM. He didn't have a reputation with the people or even maybe their trust. Yet he argued that the residents had a duty to those beyond. He believed that the village should quarantine itself to stop the plague from spreading beyond that town. And he pulled off the impossible. He convinced the village to stay. But that decision had consequences. By the summer of 1666, five to six people were dying daily. The mortality rate there in EM was higher than it was in London. And no family was left unaffected. And through their bravery, the people of EM succeeded in keeping the plague from spreading, saving thousands more lives. So will we be the people who are known for putting others first like EM? To be deeply caring to the point of death? for ourselves? Or are we going to be known for standing on our own self-righteous causes to the grave? Are we aware of how much Christ was concerned with how we treat one another and, and love one another more than our political viewpoints? Or making sure that our voice is the loudest in the room? People are isolated and alone and desperately wanting to be known. And don't believe that that all started during COVID. COVID only made it obvious to us that people are in a poor state and that we have a lot of work to do. We need to get on that altar so we can start seeing and acting beyond ourselves. It'll never be my work or Pastor Paul's or a few strategic leaders in the community that are going to build this church. It's for all of us that are called to this work. It's you and I together who will be building this body along with the next person in the pew and the next person and the next person. You know, my title is community pastor, and my, my mission here is not to just help people have a healthy community, though that, Lord willing, will be a byproduct. But my mission is to bring people together to send them out again. Loving one another and others more than themselves. To be that sacrifice together and willing to give up being comfortable to follow God's incredible call in our lives to help keep us on the altar when one of us starts wanting to get off. You know, there's a lot of unknown in our future, and some would say that we cannot prepare for what's coming for the unknown, and I disagree. And I like this quote that said, it is possible to prepare for the future without knowing what it'll be. The primary way to prepare for the unknown is to attend the quality of our relationships to how well we know and trust one another. And the goal of a Christian faith is not simply to become more loving community, not to not simply to become more loving community, but to be a community of people who participate in God's mission to heal the world by reestablishing his loving reign on earth as it is in heaven. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and 
perfect will. You want to see God move more powerfully in your life or in this community, in the life of others? It begins with you and us together. Being a living sacrifice demands nothing short of everything. It means no compromise. Submission to the Holy Spirit, which will lead to transformation. Uncomfortable laboring together as holy sacrifices to God that are loving this lost and broken world. I heard it said that God is ever the gentleman in your life. You need to act as well. You need to submit for him to move. It means opening up and sharing your failures as much as your successes so that we can walk together through the fires of life. People walk through our doors and generally we look kind of put together. But it's those things in our minds we can't see. I can't see where you're struggling in your head and your heart. But it's happening. It's happening to all of us at different levels. And we need to bear with one another. It means coming together because of God and seeing community form because of what he does in and around us as we surrender to his will. Let me end this time in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are here. And this might seem like a huge call that is impossible. And it is without you. But you love to work through your people, through your body, through each person here. And you are calling each person here. Whether they're believing that or, or not, I ask in Jesus' name, if they're not believing that, that that would be cast away as a lie. The Holy Spirit would be speaking to each person in this room and showing us, are we just giving you a few eggs of our lives? And what are we not giving up? And maybe it's something that we feel is not worthy. doesn't mean we shouldn't be giving it up. Maybe it's something dirty. Or maybe it's something that we're pretty prideful about. Or we think is our strong point. We don't need to give it to him. But we have a good, good father that wants it all. And so I ask that as he speaks to you, that if he prompts you, if he's speaking to you about parts of your life that need to change, that you'd go and share with a brother or sister and have them help you walk together. Because it is hard. Holy Spirit makes it possible, but he also gave us a body to walk together through it. So Father, I ask that you and your Spirit's power would move in your people and that this would result in a more loving and growing and changing community. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we lift this all to you in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.